Okay, we are live now. We're live streaming on Facebook and YouTube. How are you? This is the John Riley Project, episode number 162. And I'm just so pleased to have as my guest today, Poway Councilperson, the incumbent, Kaylin Frank. Kaylin, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, John? Good. Thanks for coming on. You know, um, gosh, I was going through my notes and you were on my episode number 12. Um, and wow, now we're up to 160 something. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's been a while since we, you and I have had a chance to chat. So yeah. you know, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I've got a whole bunch of questions I want to ask you about, you know, your campaign and, and how the last two years have been going and some of your the big problems you want to solve in Poway. But this is a live stream. And so, you know, we'll be taking questions from the audience. So if, if you want to ask a question of of, of Councilperson Frank, you can um, enter your comments in the comment section on either YouTube or Facebook. And, you know, barring any outrageous um, or inappropriate questions, we'll be happy to share those. <laughs> so, um, hey, but before we go, like, just, you know, how you doing? How have the last two years or two plus years been um, sitting on the city council? How's it been for you? Really great. Really great. Um, I think that we've got some exciting things that we've been able to do. Um, this pandemic has certainly put a new spin on things. Um, I had a baby. So that's, that's right. an exciting addition to our family. Um, a little quarantine baby. He was born right as everything was shutting down and we were kind of the the last people to go into the hospital before it got really, really difficult. So um, luckily he's healthy, doing well, and our family's loving that. So that's been really fun. Um, I think I'm the first council member to have a baby while in office in Poway. So that's kind of a, an exciting thing. We haven't really seen that. I don't think the other four of them will be uh, welcoming any new children, grandchildren. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. And so that's been really exciting. And then um, with the city, I mean, especially with the things that we've been doing um, since the pandemic to try to help, help our local businesses that's been a really special thing. Um, you know, it, it can feel frustrating. There's only so much that we can do when we're tied to some of the state and, and county orders. Um, but, you know, being able to offer small business loans, um, even just loan out picnic tables or open up our parks to, you know, do yoga and things like that. Um, I just, I think that sometimes those little things can really go a long way to, to make people feel like they're a part of a community and that, you know, we have this small town feel and we want to do what we can to, to help. So the work's definitely not done. Um, we'll be feeling the impacts, I think, for, for a while, but um, I'm really confident in kind of strategy that the city's been using to ensure that we're um, maintaining a balanced budget and not reducing services to residents while also, you know, doing what we can to, to help above and beyond that. Right on. I mean, I, it's interesting. I would imagine it would be I'm trying to walk in your moccasins for a minute because you, you were elected in 2018 and then we had the water crisis in Poway. And then we've had everything going on with 2020 with, you know, covid and protests and Black Lives Matter. And and then you have a baby on top of it. I mean, how are you able to juggle all of that at the same time? It's a little crazy. Um, luckily, I mean, my husband is super supportive and, and we have um, a really great family support. My parents help out a lot with the, the kids. They absolutely love being grandparents. So I just, you know, I try to do what I can. Having the ability to do so much virtually has been actually, you know, a really big blessing in dealing with all of this stuff because I'm able to work from home. 
Um, since the, the quarantine, all of the regional meetings that I've been going to are via Zoom. So I'm able to kind of lock myself away and the kids can play and I, I do my work and I don't actually have to leave the house. So it, it makes it a little bit easier, but um, I think it's hard to feel it's, that you're being as effective when you can't get out there and be, you know, face to face with people. Um, but I just, you know, social media has been a big tool in trying to get information out and, and help people. So, um, I do a lot of that while I'm, you know, kind of sitting at home trying to balance making lunch or changing diapers and checking emails. Um, and you just kind of, I think moms get really good at multitasking. So it's just another one of the tasks that I'm juggling. (laughs) So how old is your oldest child now? She is, she will be three in December. So she's like two and three quarters. Um, She just started preschool. So that's super exciting. She loves it. And um, so that's a a couple mornings a week that I get with just the baby, which is kind of nice. And he will be six months this month. So just awesome. So are you getting a good night's sleep? How's that working out? (laughs) (laughs) Right. What's that? No, I swear they have like sibling ESP. So even if, you know, if one wakes up and I'm like, okay, I can still kind of, you know, try to get a little more sleep or juggle this, the other one figures it out. And then they're both up and we're just, you know, ready for the day, no matter what time it is. (laughs) Yeah. I remember those days myself. Um, That, that, that was pretty rough, you know, but once they settle into a groove, it takes a little time though. Yeah. I figure once my kids are old enough to like wake up and make a bowl of cereal and turn on some cartoons, maybe I'll start getting a little more sleep, but until then it's just, you know, that's, that's parent life, right? We all, we all kind of go through that zombie phase. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I remember that. Um, well, let's, let's just dive in. I mean, I got a whole bunch of questions for you and then, um, you know, we're happy to take questions from the audience. If you know, we're live streaming on YouTube and Facebook. So if you have a question, just leave a comment here. I've already seen one question from Amy Jackson. We'll hope to get to that, but it's my show. So I want to ask the first question. (laughs) So obviously, you know, now we're into district, um, you know, districts for Poway and you're running, um, as an incumbent, but this is the first time you're running for district four. And, you know, obviously there's a lot going on in district four with the construction, um, of the new housing and the outpost and the senior center, you know, community center. And, um, and now there's been, you know, this proposal about the Fairfield project on Poway road, uh, at the right near the, the bowling alley and the thrift stores. And, I just like to get your overall take on this because there's been a lot of chatter on social media. People really, really? concerned. Oh yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. It's just three people really concerned about traffic and congestion mm-hmm. and how long it's going to take to get from garden road to the freeway. So you know, walk us through how you see the, your vision for Poway road and, um, um, and what you think that site should be that Fairfield is considering uh, to build on. Well, first, I have to be really careful about how specific we get um, about talking about any kind of proposal being approved at that site, just because, um, you know, they do have the right to come forward in an unbiased hearing if they if they choose to do so. So I won't get too specific about that. I think tomorrow night will be um, a really important discussion, um, because I do think that there are elements of the, of their proposal that don't work with our community. They, they don't fit. It's, it's too much. Um, it's not really offering the types of community benefits that I think we're looking for. 
Um, and so when you talk about kind of that overall vision and, and when the council brought forward the new Poway Road specific plan, kind of what the goal was, and there was a lot of talk about creating a town center, creating a destination, creating something that offered more to residents. Um, I, in, in my opinion, I don't feel that the point of the specific plan was to bring in more housing. It's a consequence of the difficulty in building commercial and the essentially it's a, it's a risky investment for developers and housing is a little safer as far as when you're looking at that cost benefit balance and ensuring that they can actually pay for the project and they are in it to make a profit. They have employees, they have investors, they, you know, all of that stuff. So to balance it, that's why we're getting that mixed use. Um, and my understanding is when they did the specific plan and they did all the analysis of the economic need and what kind of drivers we have to support those businesses, there wasn't a big call for we need a lot more residential. It was we need or um, not a lot more commercial. It was that we need commercial that attracts businesses or that attracts residents. So to balance that and have the right mix, I think that mixed use is appropriate in the way that we've seen it in Poway Commons and the Outpost. Um, a, a much more um, balance, I think, of residential and commercial. When you're looking at projects that are essentially large-scale apartment complexes with some commercial thrown in there to kind of balance it, to me, that doesn't really fit what the goal was because it isn't creating a destination. It isn't really offering a more. And then when you're going above and beyond and asking for all the allowances beyond the specific plan, um, we really have to dive deep and see, is that offering what it should be to the current residents? Sure, we know we need rooftops. We know that California is in a housing crisis. We know that we don't have a variety of housing in Poway. We know that there's a need for that, but we have to do it in a smart way. And Poway Road is not just for residential. I think that the focus should be more on that commercial commercial revitalization. And so that's what I look at really closely when we're talking about these proposals. Um, you know, I, once the outposts and the commons come to fruition, I think people are going to really start to be able to see what that vision is. Um, because I, I think that they're really going to set the tone for what the expectation is and what people can, can um, look for in those types of projects. Well, you know, it's interesting because you're talking about the ratio or the balance between commercial and residential. And the outpost obviously seems to have a lot of both, right? Um, but the commons, my understanding is, is that the amount of commercial space in that project is pretty minimal compared to the amount of residential. Isn't that right? It's about 25,000 square feet of proposed commercial um, we just that's in the second phase of the project. So the difficulty with the Poway Commons in, in really seeing that balance is that the developer chose to split it into two. And really, essentially, the housing that they're building is going to pay for them to be able to develop the commercial side of it. So that's why it's, it's going in two phases. Plus, they have the affordable housing component, which is a whole other financing structure and, and different mechanisms. So to me, I think that you're also looking at the scale of the project altogether, and the density of Poway Commons is significantly lower than what's being talked about at Carriage Road. Um, and so the and the type of housing you're talking about townhomes with garages, not, you know, studios and one bedrooms, two bedrooms, three bedrooms. So to me, that's a very different 
type of community to build um, in addition to some of the connectivity to community park and the improvements that they're making there. So to me, I think when you put the project side by side, though there may be some similarities, I stand by my support of the Poway Commons and I'm very skeptical of the, the current proposal at Carriage Road. Yeah, the Carriage Road is the one at the bowling alley and the thrift stores, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I understand. Okay. So, um, yeah, because I know I, I was looking at your website and you talk a lot about responsible growth. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean to you? To me, it means thinking about, you know, I think smart growth has kind of, that term has kind of morphed into no growth. And when a lot of people talk about that, it, you know, they're really opposed to change. And we can't be opposed to change. It, it's just unrealistic. No change is still going to be change. It's just going to be stagnant. It's going to be deterioration, blight, things like that. So to me, I think that we have to look at every project on a case-by-case basis. I certainly don't have kind of this blanket. Sure, everything that happens on Poway Road should happen. Um, but I'm also not going to be opposed to something just because it is change. And I think that's what's particularly hard when we're talking about Poway Bowl and the thrift stores is there's a sentimental attachment to that in the community. That's right. And that we have to kind of separate that out because it's not up to me as a council member to say whether the Poway Bowl stays or goes. Um, that that decision honestly was made before I was even on the council, is my understanding. They, this has been in, in talks for a long time. Um, and so as a result, we have to kind of come to terms with that, but then think about, okay, if it's not here, what would fit? What else would fit? And, you know, with it's something that is more along the lines of these smaller scale projects, um, I think that we could probably find something that would be really great for the community. I do think that it's, you know, whether or not um, Fairfield goes forward, I don't think that the site will stay as it is. Um, It seems that the, the owners are certainly interested in pursuing that sale. So, it, it, to me, it's about doing it thoughtfully, responsibly, having that community conversation. I've been in contact with a lot of residents over the last week about um, Tuesday's item and just kind of hearing their concerns, but also sharing the information from my side when maybe they get a little bit of misinformation or they don't quite understand something or, you know, part of the story is missing. I like to try to fill in those gaps as well as really be responsive to what they're concerned about and, and tell them when I agree with them. I mean, it's, it's not always just a... Um, that we're you know, going to be on different pages about things just because I'm supportive of things growing and changing in a way that they should um, without, you know, doing it in a, to me, in an irresponsible way, in a way that ignores the needs of the community, that ignores the community character um, and, and those concerns. So, yeah, because I think you know, obviously the, the outpost and the commons project, those have gone through the whole process, the horses out of the barn, right? So those are being built. And then this new project that was, and I know you have limited ability to talk about it, but that's the one that was in the news that here locally people were really concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the ordinance for height or stories along Poway Road right now? Do you know? Yeah. So it generally is two stories. Um, we across almost, I think the entire city, it's 35 feet. Um, what happens is when you design a specific plan and you want to entice developers to offer things to the community, you put in kind of these nuances that allow them to, well, if they offer 
this much, you know, community benefit, then maybe they can get up to three stories or four stories. If they offer this much, they can have, you know, a higher density. And the goal is to try to balance, you know, not just having developments that are private and have no public access and there's no, you know, interest in involving the community with, things that fit the community. And so with Fairfield, the the issue with that property is the way they did the specific plan with the, it's a downslope. And so they're looking at 35 feet from Poway Road. Um, that's how you're getting some of those higher numbers. Whether or not they're appropriate for that site and whether or not the community benefits that they're offering to offset those are valid is kind of where the council has that discretion because to be honest with the way that the state legislature has passed some laws regarding state housing, if a proposal came through that fit perfectly within the specific plan, we would not have the discretion to deny approval. And I don't Mm. think people really understand that. I mean, we, we would essentially be opening ourselves up to a lawsuit. It would cost the city who knows how much money to fight that. And ultimately the courts have shown that they're going to rule in favor of um, property development, especially if it includes housing. Yeah, that's interesting because that's part of the fear with the project up at the farm, right? That that if um, if Poway doesn't take control over that site, you know, the voters approving it, that there may be a situation where the state could come in and dictate to us how we use that land. Is is that true? I believe that. I think that we're seeing trends. Um, the state is not a fan of voter initiative approvals for land use. Um, They recommend against those in their housing element language. And so I think it's only a matter of time. We've seen them challenged in other cities. And so I think that it's, it would be silly to say that that could never happen here. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that it's certainly with the size of that property, in addition to the fact that it's already disturbed land, it's not habitat, it's not even, you know, open space that may not have habitat, but is still open space. It's been developed. um, And so I would I would be very um, I would not be very surprised if something moved forward on that that then took away the voice of the voters and perhaps even would take away the voice of the council. Um, mm-hmm. it, we really, it's, it's getting pretty extreme when it comes to addressing housing in Sacramento. Um, and so I know that, you know, people think that that sounds like fear mongering or that I'm trying to, to pressure. But in reality, I think if you look at what's happening in other cities, it's not unrealistic to think that that could happen here. Right. Yeah, it seems like um, the the folks up in Sacramento have ha- had really shifted gears because for the longest time, you know, we had we had these zoning laws that prevented development, kind of the NIMBY laws, I guess you will call them. I mean, where they're dealing with it, we're down by the sports arena in San Diego right now, too, you know, the mm-hmm. height ordinances and everything else. Uh, but I think there's so much pressure to lower the price of housing so by increasing supply that, yeah, it seems like uh, Newsom and, and the crew up there are kind of pushing an agenda statewide. Absolutely. And to them, inventory means, you know, get as many as possible, which means high rise, high density housing, 
whether or not it's affordable, um, they're just looking at the numbers that you're able to, to fit into these land, these uh, parcels. So to me, I think that, it, you know, it, at this point, at least you have a plan that has gone through an extensive community input process. The Kevin is extremely accessible, is act, you know, active to answering questions um, and it's locked in. The voters do know exactly what they're getting, which is very different than when this proposal, well, a different proposal came forward a couple of years ago, which was extremely vague. And it was really, you know, we're probably going to put this many houses, but we're not going to map it out. We're not going to tell you where the houses are. Um, I, I don't think I would have voted for that either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, the, you know, obviously nobody wants high rises like, you know, those giant buildings in Mira Mesa. Um, but it, it is interesting that, you know, we talk about Poway. It's the city in the country. Right. And people are saying, you know, are we the city? Are we the country or what's the ratio? I'm sometimes wondering, does that even I mean, it's a nice slogan. Does it still apply in 2020? I mean, what do you think? Well, I, th- I think Councilmember Mullen once said, you know, we have a city portion and we do have a country portion. And Poway Road is, has never been country. It, that that's always been, you know, smaller lots. It's been our commercial area, things like that. And so I think that it's important to remember that by trying to help revitalize that area, it also enables us to protect other areas and have that, you know, those economic drivers that help support our city without thinking that we need to completely change the community character of another part of Poway. Um, that, you know, I think we have to really acknowledge that we have our commercial zones and we need those to be thriving. Yeah, that, that's that's it, it's interesting is I've lived in Poway since 1996. And ever since I moved here, they're always talking about revitalizing Poway Road to all the things you said. It's make it a city center, a walkable downtown, a, a, a mixed use, you know residential, commercial, uh, something of a central area for Poway. Um, and now we're finally doing it. And, and now some people are, are concerned and upset. So it, it's, it's difficult. It's almost like you can't please everyone when you dive into these projects, even if you get community input up front. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of the difficult things about being a council member is you you have to take a position on things. You can't just sit back and say, well, I'm just going to listen to everybody and see what everybody says, because for as many people that you'll find that are happy about something, there's going to be people that are really unhappy about it or think you should have done it a different way. And so you have to kind of be true to what you believe. And that's why, you, you know, during a campaign, you really try to communicate not just your ideas about specific things, but your perspective, because mm-hmm. there's going to be things that come up in, in a term that you didn't necessarily talk about in a campaign. But if people understand what my vision is or where I'm coming from, what my values are, they're entrusting me to then make those votes. Um, and so I think it's important that we really kind of share more than just, you know, talking about specific things, because it, you do have to be that leader and take a position and you, and you can't always just try to please everyone and, and make everyone happy. And that's been a really hard thing for me as a council member, because I, you know, I genuinely, I, I don't really like people not liking me. Uh, that's always hard to, to accept, I think, for anybody. Um, and oftentimes it's, it's, not for things that I've purposely done or said or try, you know, it's people that don't actually know me. And, and that's hard. You know, if, if I do something and that makes you mad, that's one thing, but there's a lot of, you know, assumption and, and people kind of spin these stories and I don't have any say in them and, and that's hard. Yeah. 
You know, I, I mean, all due respect, I think it comes with the territory, right? Being a, an elected politician, you're going to have, you know, friends and, and uh, naysayers. So, yeah, it, but it's, it's got to be tough on your, your psyche sometimes when some people are, can get kind of angry. Have you encountered any of that since you've been here in Poway? People in Poway getting angry? Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, I, you know, it's usually not directed towards me. It's generally, you know, people having conversations and, and either I stumble upon them or I'm told about them and um, and they're angry with maybe what they think I'm going to do or what they think I did do, um, what they think I was a part of that I wasn't. You know, it's, it's always hard to to understand. I think people are very passionate about their city here, which is a yeah. great thing. Um, and we right. have a lot of engagement, which is fantastic. Um, and you, you know, it, I, I can't complain that, that I know I'm going to make people unhappy sometimes, but you do try to balance it and feel like you're doing the best good for the most people. Yeah. And that makes sense. You know, you, you got to do what you think is the right thing. I mean, that's the reason you were elected in the first place because they, you know, the voters trusted you and your judgment, but um, yeah, it's gotta be hard. You know, I mean, you're, you're dealing with the stress of being a mom. Um, this has been a crazy year. I'll tell you what, Hey, let's um, you know, Friday night, like a couple of, you know, last week was the league of women voters um, online forum. And what'd you think of that? How'd that go for you? I thought it was good. I mean, it's the first time that we've all, you know, I've never spoken to some of the candidates. So just to even be like in the same um, realm, I guess, or room was nice. And I thought the questions brought out some good discussion. Um, And for as strange as the format was, I thought it went pretty smoothly. Yeah, I thought it was really good. And, um, you know, the League of Women Voters, they run a tight ship, right? So I thought they did a good job. (laughs) Yeah. So um, one of the things that you said in that um, in that forum, we're talking about affordable housing sites. And again, we're going to talk a little bit more about housing. And you you said that, you know, you you uh, didn't want to build at the Big Stone Lodge. And that you had identified that you thought the best place for a affordable housing was at the Monte Vista site. Mm-hmm. So walk me through how you arrived at that decision. And what is your, like, if you can wave a magic wand, what would you put at that Monte Vista site? Oh, okay. Um, so first, you know, currently the city has three properties that are owned by the housing authority that are kind of up for grabs when it comes to affordable housing. We have Big Stone Lodge. We have the site on Twin Peaks, which was considered uh, a few years ago for veterans housing. And then we have the site on Monta Vista that's up up the hill a little bit past uh, Pomerado Hospital that really doesn't get a lot of attention and, and hadn't really been talked about uh, much when we were having conversations about affordable housing. And I think when you start to dive into some of the details about that, especially when comparing it to a site like Big Stone Lodge. To me, it's a very obvious, appropriate site. Um, It's very accessible to public transportation. Uh, The MTS bus line goes right down Pomerado. And if we're talking about folks like veterans or adults with with disabilities, being close to medical care is absolutely a benefit. Um, There's a lot of medical facilities and in addition to the hospital in that area. and it's one of our biggest sites. So to actually be able to, you know, make a difference and make an impact and not just offer, you know, a handful of, of housing units, to me, I thought that that's kind of the obvious choice if we're going to really get a good proposal. And so and that was the whole point is really asking the affordable housing community, what do you think you can do here to serve our residents? 
And mm-hmm. I'm extremely interested to see what comes back um, because I think there are some really innovative, you know, affordable housing doesn't just look like apartment complexes. Um, there's a lot of different ways that they can be done. I mean, we have some beautiful homes that are affordable housing, townhomes in Poway. Um, I would love to see, you know, if we're looking at veterans, some, something that had maybe some support for veterans. Um, there's really great nonprofits that, that can help with that. Um, and maybe something that, you know, has a little character to it, like a type of village or bungalow style or something that, you know, it doesn't have to be like a three or four story apartment complex that doesn't add any, you know, value or character or things like that aesthetically. Um, and so I, but affordable housing is really complex and there's, you know, a few, kind of companies and nonprofits that do it really well. And so I'm hoping that that one of them will be interested and that we'll actually get a proposal that is possible. Um, Because there's always the fear that we get something back that we know won't work um, or we don't get anything back. Um, And so to to see what we're able to, what, what the interest is out there, I think is really important. Yes, it's interesting as I'm trying to make sure I understand the process here. So this is, uh, you know, it's funny if I've been back over by that Monte Vista site, I had like a periodontist appointment back there. And it's like this, this island of like empty space. And it's it's like really old asphalt, like an overflow parking lot, if I recall. Yeah, that it maybe was used as parking once upon a time for something. Yeah. So, you know, there's so few empty lots like that in Poway. So, um, but ultimately it's a private property owner, right? And then if they brought in a developer that specialized in affordable housing, then you on the council could either say yay or nay to the property or to the construction, right? That property is owned by the city. It's owned by the housing authority. So that's where, when we're talking about kind of having full control over a site, it's Twin Peaks, Monta Vista and Big Stone Lodge that are owned by the housing authority, which technically isn't the city. Um, It's a separate, you know, there's a firewall there. Um, But but we serve as the housing authority commission, I think is what Mm -hmm. we would be called. Um, And so what we're hoping to do with the request for proposals that went out is kind of put out the details on the property, kind of what is allowed there, what the zoning is, what density. Um, And then at the council meeting, we had a little discussion among the council members of what we might like to see, what we're looking to do. um, And you kind of throw it out there and companies like Mercy, Chelsea, um, that do affordable housing can look at, cause oftentimes they have, you know, dip, there are ways that these companies, you know, they, if you're section eight, you are paying, you know, a rent of some sort that goes back to the company to help with some of that operation. There's grants, um, other type of funding. So what we would do is basically offer the property and the company would then pay to build and, and mm. operate the um, complex. So our role is really kind of being the landlord, I guess you would say, um, and cutting away that purchase price of the land to help make it more feasible for them. So is that like the same paradigm as the, is it Via De Vida? Yes, it's, it's so- essentially exactly what happened there. They had private fundraising and invest, investing and got grants and all this stuff. And we were the landowner that, that could jump in with that as our kind of partnership towards the affordable housing. I see. Okay. Um, 
So, you know, you, you mentioned Big Stone Lodge and, you know, you said you, you didn't think that was an appropriate site. You know, that's obviously an, a hot topic, especially for the people in District 4. I mean, again, let's ask the magic wand question again. What, what do you think should be there if you could if you had sole authority? What's your thought? I had sole authority. So I don't think it should be owned by the housing authority. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have supported that purchase if I had been on the council. And it it's, have you ever been down there? Yeah. Yeah. Many it's, times. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful area yes. of highway yes, it is. Um, with the, the stones, the Creek, the trees, mm-hmm. all this. So I've kind of imagined um, there's a community mem- member, Mariana Basila, who has, kind of create, she created like this story almost of what could happen if it were transformed into a passive park. Um, and, and really that would be very low maintenance on the city's end because it's not like we have to do a lot of landscaping. It's already, you know, naturally beautiful. I'd love to see some of that history preserved, um, even have like one of those, um, you know, like boards that have old pictures or some of the history of the site and picnic tables and things to enjoy the area. Um, And then there's trails right there, obviously. So it's a great kind of starting or stopping point for some other activities. Um, I think that there could be some really cool things that we do with the stones um, that are really the, you know, identity of the property. And so I'm, I'm really doing some, some talking to folks and thinking on my own about how we might remedy the issue of it being owned by the housing authority, because really that, that creates some barriers. Um, mm-hmm. But it, you know, we're not, we're not locked into anything there. So the, the opportunities are, are there. Yeah. I, I, that makes sense to me. I mean, originally when I, when they talked about it being a housing site, I thought about it. And then when I, when I went out there and looked at it a second time, it just didn't feel right, you know, as a place mm-hmm. for, you know, because there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, manufactured homes. And it's just a very it's like a time warp when you go down that street. Um, it's, it's a very special part of Poway. Um, yeah. You don't realize how far down Old Pomerado goes. Um, yeah. There's really, you know, it's almost like the Wild Wild West in a little bit. Yes, yes it is. Um, a lot of the traditional type housing and stuff like that. And so I, I don't see a project that would fit that would also work with all the kind of issues with the site. When you're talking about floodplain habitat and all of those things. I mean, I, I think if we were to pursue it, the the amount of units that we'd even really be able to put there would be negligible. Um, right. And so to go through all of that and take away a site that has so much history when you're talking about, you know, the origins of Poway it, to me, it's kind of like, why Why would we pursue that when we have other sites like Monta Vista that are really primed for something like that? That makes sense. You know, I, I'm wondering, I'm, I know, I'm just thinking ahead, like that site, you know, the, it's got the ugly chain link fence around it and the rusty air conditioners on the roof. I wonder if they stripped all that away, if it could be like a site, almost like the equivalent of a Greek ruins um, mm-hmm. or if it would be rebuilt into some sort of a functional space for weddings or any kind of an event, what do you think about that? I, I mean, I, I prefer more passive. I think that events parking would be a really difficult issue with that. Mm-hmm. Um, even when they have events at the VFW, it gets really difficult uh, for cars. There's a lot of no street parking in that area. So um, I could see that being 
a bigger impact to neighbors. Um, and really, I think that it should, you know, should be there for residents to enjoy as they please. So to me, I'd love to see, you know, if there is something that can be done that's, you know, reminiscent of what the lodge looked like or something like that. I mean, there's like the huge fireplace that's still there and some of that stuff. So to me, I think there's a lot of possibility. Um, we haven't moved forward with any of the demolition uh, or anything like that. So it's still all on the table to be discussed. And I, um, I think there, yeah, there's, there's a lot of possibility. We just have to start having those conversations. Right on. That makes sense to me. So hopefully that, yeah, I don't know when the council is uh, going to tackle that. Do you know? Because it's been sort of in a limbo here for a number yeah. of years. Right? Um, I think staff is still, you know, a lot of things kind of stopped abruptly uh, back in March. And so staff is still working on how the best way to go about having that conversation with the community of what, how to, how to safely demolish the, the unsafe parts and get rid of some of that vermin. And, and there's just, you know, it's, it's, it's gotten pretty nasty over there. Um, yeah. And so even to just get a little bit through that process and have it not be such an eyesore, I think we might even start to see the possibilities of what it could be, you know, arise organically as we go through that. So it's it's all still to come. There There's nothing that's been decided yet, um, even with how to, to move forward with the demolition. It's simply something that we are able to do in a way that that will make sense. And I'm definitely following it closely with staff. So right on. Well, yeah, that's uh, district four right there. So yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're doing this as a live stream and, and we encourage you in the audience, if you have questions for, for council person, Frank, you know, please l- l- leave those questions in the comments on Facebook or YouTube and I'll, I'll ask them. And we do have a question here. This is from Amy Jackson. And she says, do you support the current $500 in lieu fee for developers to avoid building affordable housing? Um, And if the answer is yes, explain. And then if not, then she has some additional thoughts. So let's just go with the in lieu fee, $500. What's your thought on that? Um, Amy, check your email. I sent you an email about that. Um, (laughs) Okay. Let me just read the email that I sent her. Um, Now, the fees, they've been talked about. Uh, Usually they came up in 2018 and they're coming back up again today, this this year. Um, It's it's a fine line that you have to walk with those fees. The purpose of them is to, you know, you want to entice developers to include affordable housing as a part of their project, but you don't want to have them so high that, they're just turned off from even doing any work in Poway period. And so you have to, you have to walk that line. I'd be interested to see, and these are, this is the, some of the conversations I've had with the city manager is kind of where do we fall uh, countywide when it comes to those fees there, you know, they're only one portion of some of the fees and, and costs that um, developers incur during a project in a city. So kind of where, where are we at? I think that, you know, we shouldn't be on either end of the spectrum. Personally, we tend to kind of fall in the, somewhere in the middle or the third um, on things. So I'd be curious to know where we are countywide. Um, but I also, I, I think that it hasn't inhibited us from building affordable housing. We have over 700 units in the city um, serving families, not really serving veterans, um, but we've got senior units. And so we, we've been able to do quite a bit, I think. Um, and so that combined with the fact that 
of the two projects that are approved on Poway Road, one of them does include affordable housing. Um, and we've got the site at Monta Vista that we just talked about. So we're, we're still doing it. Um, I think if, if we hadn't seen any affordable housing, you know, coming into the city, that would be a huge red flag. Like clearly we've got an issue, right. mm-hmm. um, but we have been able to make strides in that. And so whether or not the fee, you know, needs to be examined and changed, I think that that we've still been able to to really address affordable housing. Um, and you know, I'm only one person, and so I know that there's been other council members that have been very opposed to that. They feel that the the cost for building is already significantly too high, um, which is a factor in the housing crisis. So mm-hmm. um, we have to think about that too. Is is I don't know that I would have the support on the council necessarily to bring something forward, especially during a recession. Right. Yeah. Interesting. God, there, there's so much going on with like housing and development right now. And we've covered a lot of it. Let's let's switch gears a bit. Okay. Um, so when we met last time in 2018 um, and you came in our studio, we had a nice conversation and we were all getting to know you, you know, at that mm-hmm. point. And I know that you had a lot of experience working at the county. You were working for was it Supervisor Horn? Uh-huh. If I recall. Yeah. yeah. And I remember you told me that one of the key, you know, um, benefits or, you know, that you bring to the table is that you have a lot of these connections at mm-hmm. the county that you think you can bring forward to Poway to help out. And I was just wondering if you can share some examples of some of those types of, uh, uh, you know, bringing in yeah. people that, you know. Yeah. Um, I think one of the really cool things was Abraxas High School actually got a county grant to bring in some showers. And I think washing machines, but I'm not positive about that. But essentially you have kids that maybe don't have access to that at the, at home that were, you know, needing um, facilities like that at their school. And with, um, in conversations with Ginger at the school board, um, we kind of lobbied the county and got some grant funding for that. So just even knowing that that grant program existed um, is one of those things that most people that maybe don't deal with the county much would know about. Um, And so being able to do that, I think, was huge. Um, When we did have the water crisis, we have regional, you know, I have regional relationships with a lot of water authority um, board members and water districts. We were able to get assistance um, and really, you know, have people because we were testing constantly throughout the city. And that's a huge burden on staff. We just didn't have the manpower for it. So to have, you know, people come into the city and help us out and things like that. Um, and then just have being able to have good relationships with my colleagues on the council as well and really understand kind of and respect them and their role. Um, I think that I kind of did, I didn't come in adversarial and I wanted to work with them. And I, to me, it's, it's been a benefit because I think that, the conversations about Big Stone Lodge, I've been very outspoken about that. Um, and they they respect that that's the, the concern in our community and um, have been very, you know, they were very supportive of identifying the Monta Vista site. Um, so, I, you know, I think that there's a lot of just, you, you don't even realize that those things are happening because of, of my experience, but just being able to have that grasp of government and understand kind of what the role of a city is and what our ability is. Um, I've also been in touch with the county a lot during this pandemic. Um, I have friends that are working there. And so I'm able to kind of just send a text and say, okay, 
clarify this for me? Like what can open, what's not open, what are the rules, what's the timeline, you know, things like that. And, and share it with, with residents that ask me because ultimately we aren't, you know, in charge of those things. And it's been very complicated following the orders from the county and the state. Um, I think if, I, if even I'm confused about what we can and can't do, I'm sure the average, you know, the average resident, is, it's, it's exhausting to follow. So just even being able to, to call somebody and say, hey, can you kind of explain to me what's going to happen at the press conference today um, so I can let people know, I think has been really valuable. Right. Well, right on. That's, that's good. I, I think that's really helpful because I know, yeah, during that water crisis, that was that was some uh, trailblazing efforts. I'm sure a lot of people on the staff had to deal with. I mean, what went wrong there? I mean, it was it was a maintenance issue with keeping a flap open, right? A flap malfunctioned. Uh, yeah. So during we had massive rainstorms before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the flap under all of that pressure with the rainstorms, it malfunctioned and a piece of, it was basically rope. So debris from some of the, the runoff got stuck in there and, and wedged it open. And so we, we had some, basically some storm runoff, um, mm-hmm. get into our water system. Uh, it was mm-hmm. very quickly identified and, and remedied. Um, and, but we had protocol with the state to follow and we did what we were supposed to do. And we are, we did not receive a citation and are moving forward. So what, when did that go down? Was that like in November of last year? It was um, like right after Thanksgiving. So yeah. the weekend right after Thanksgiving. Yeah. I'm surprised that didn't land in 2020 as well. Just uh, this year has just been nuts. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, talk, let's, one other tangent on the whole county is obviously our mayor, Steve Voss, is, is running for county supervisor. And um, I know that's going to be a close race. I think we're all fascinated by that. But let's just take the hypothetical that he wins and he is put up on the county board of supervisors. What do you believe is the right process to go about replacing a mayor? Should the council appoint someone um, or should we go to a vote or what are your thoughts? I'm really glad you brought this up because there, there's a little bit that I want to set straight too. Um, I've seen a lot of this, you know, a lot, this hypothetical situation is obviously being talked about a lot. We all, you know, it would be nice when it's solved and we kind of know what we have to deal with. Um, but I am extremely happy being a council member. My kids are very little. Um, being mayor is a significant jump in workload and time commitment, time away from my kids. Um, so any of those types of conspiracies, I just want to put to rest that I would not and will not be throwing my hat in the ring for that. Um, it, it's not at all something that's on that's on my um, goal list. So to just clarify that, um, and I've never told anyone that I wanted to do that. I've never had conversations with people about that. Um, and, and frankly, I've never mapped out my career path. I think that there's also been those statements of, you know, I'm just using this as a stepping stone or a ladder. And I don't know where that comes from because I've never, I, my husband joked that I haven't even told him what those plans are. So, you know, if all these people seem to know and he doesn't, there's something wrong. Um, I, I'm very happy raising my family here and being a part of the city and that, you know, I, we can't predict the future obviously, but to say that I've, I've got something mapped out is, is just not true. Um, as far as if Steve wins and I think he would be a huge asset at the County. Um, personally, I think so special elections are quite expensive. Um, I, I think that 
my preference would be kind of a, a blend of appointing someone from the council to be kind of this caretaker mayor for two years. Um, all of us have been or will have been elected. So it's not um, kind of surpassing that total will of the people for mayor. Um, and then I, I would probably prefer to see a special election to fill that seat. I don't know if I'm in the majority on that, on the council. Um, we obviously can't talk about that stuff together. Um, so to me, I think that, and especially running a district special election should be more affordable mm-hmm. for the city versus the citywide. Um, and that, that would probably be my preference to kind of balance the financial impact, but also ensure that, you know, the residents of Poway don't feel like they're completely being um, ignored when it comes to what their city leadership looks like. Yeah, but how much money are we really talking about? I mean, is it about $100,000? That's, That's a number I've heard thrown around. Elite, probably, I think like a city council race might be three to 500000 I think. Mm-hmm. And mayor would be maybe closer to like eight hundred. Mm, so a lot more. Yeah. You know, I'll just tell you my opinion on that. I think you got to do an election, even if it's just for two years, uh-huh. because there again, all due respect to you, but there have been a lot of appointments on mm-hmm. the city council and that's ruffled some feathers. Mm-hmm. Having an election, I think, makes it more transparent um, and I think would be it would probably calm the nerves of some people in Poway. Mm-hmm. I I hear that. And I I think that there just has to be, you know, an aspect of realism of what we can afford, what would make sense, the timeline, all of that. Um, And so I I think that if you if there isn't the will to have elections for both seats um, or, you know, have a mayoral election um, that could potentially result in a vacancy on the council, I mean, that there's also that that kind of um, domino effect that could happen. Um, And so I think that having kind of this caretaker mayor for a couple of years that is elected, maybe elected as a council member, but still was elected. uh, Mm -hmm. It to me is more of a balance. um, And then having an election to to fill whichever seat that was um, is to me is is more feasible. I feel like I maybe could get more support for that on the council um, because it is a lot of money and it's, it's, a difficult undertaking to have your own election in, in such a small area. Um, but that we'll, we'll have to see kind of what, what comes out of November 3rd. Yeah. I think we're going to find out. I think we're all anxious to learn. And I mean, the, the um, we won't go down this path, but I'm just fascinated with the supervisor race because there's just a lot going on with it. It's pretty interesting. So um, yeah, we'll see how that one shakes out. So um, got another question here uh, from the audience and it's from uh, one of our big supporters of the podcast here, Pete Neald. And he, Pete asks, he says uh, for councilman uh, Frank, you represent D four district four. And a lot of people feel that district four suffers with just one vote and has lost when the other city council members set their minds to something. How will you show them? I guess he refers to district four. How will you show district four that you can represent them and shed the feeling of them getting dumped on? Well, I guess I, I love more specifics on getting dumped on. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you're talking about Poway Road and, you know, the two projects, 194 housing units, to me, I don't see that as being dumped on. I think that's bringing some really exciting new things to the area, a new community and senior center. I don't think that's being dumped on. It's going to be beautiful. Um, 
So I, I think that there is a narrative that, that gets kind of spun, but an example would be the fact that we are not pursuing anything at Big Stone Lodge right now. Like that, I'm sitting with four council members who approved the purchase of that by the housing authority. So to me, I think that that shows huge project, progress of the conversations I've been able to have about why that's not appropriate, the conversations that community members have brought up, the emails they've sent council members, things like that. So to me, that's that's a great example. Um, and I've worked really hard to be accessible. I'm on social media a lot. My cell phone is out there. My email is out there. And so the biggest thing that I can do to represent people is to talk to them. Uh, mm-hmm. And I try really hard to, to be involved in conversations and share my thoughts. And whether or not everyone agrees with me, I think that you can't say that I ignore people or am, am unresponsive. Um, so that, to me, I think, is a huge part of being a council member. I know Pete talked a lot about listening to people and talking to people. Um, and that that's the best way to represent them. Um, like we said, you can't please everybody and not everyone's going to agree with me. But when I go in to make a decision, I like to at least feel like I've heard a good round, you know, kind of a, had a, a well-rounded input and discussion with people. Um, and go from there. I mean, I think it's going to be a case by case thing of whether people feel like I'm representing them, but I just try to kind of share my perspective and, and hopefully that resonates with people. Well, I'll give you credit because you, you jump on social media and <laughs> some of the other council members are either not on social media or probably a little more calculated in how they use it as a communication tool. You seem to just jump in and answer questions and that's a good, I like to see yeah, right. Um, okay. So, um, gosh, what else? So, uh, you know, let's talk about parks. Um, this came up in the, um, League of Women Voters Forum and there's been some chatter online afterwards. Um, you talked about the city doing assessments of parks, you know, take us down that path and what you think we should be doing with our park system. So, um, I think the question was really, you know, is, do we have enough parks and, and what are we doing about that? And so I brought up that, um, a few months ago, definitely before COVID. So I'm, I'm terrible, especially I was pregnant. So I have no sense of like day, time, (laughs) whatever, but, um, actually, uh, Dave and Barry brought forward kind of this idea to do a, a full assessment of community park. It's our largest park, Um, It has the most amenities when you're talking about we also have the pool there and we're going to have the new community center and it should be the gem of our park system. It should be top notch. And the questions that they had were really, you know, are is what we're offering at the park what people want today. So do we have the right amenities? Are people, you know, do we need this many tennis courts or should we look at, you know, a pickleball court or do we have, should we bring in a place for bocce ball or is nobody playing bocce ball or just things like that? Do we have enough tables Are do we have, uh, are the sports fields being used or would that space be better for, you know, do we have more soccer than baseball or just all of those things that I think you should kind of be aware of how your park's being used. Um, to clarify, they're not looking at how the parks are being used right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big point of confusion. So obviously park usage is very different. Um, playgrounds are still closed, all of that. Um, but the, the question was, you know, let's get a really good assessment of what our park is today and what needs to be done. 
Um, it, we talk a lot about bringing in that new housing. We do, we have those two projects approved, um, that are not single family homes with outdoor space. There's some included in the development plans for residents, but, um, certainly they're going to be connected to power to community park, have this brand new community center, the brand new pool. So our park should fit with what we're doing elsewhere. Um, and so that that's really what the assessment is. I think that, you know, my feeling is we should be making our current parks the best they can be before we look at adding more. Um, I, I live within two and a half miles of five of our parks. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know that quantity is necessarily what's missing. Uh, it very well could be quality. Interesting. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's funny. You go to different parks in town and some are get a lot more use than others. Mm-hmm. Like you ever you ever been to is it is it Star Ridge? The one that's I love Park? Star Ridge Park. Yes, that's one of the ones I live is I think it's like two point one miles from me or something. Yeah. Um, it's a very cool park. It, the play equipment is different than we have at some of our other parks. Um so my daughter definitely loves that park. I have some friends that live really nearby, so we've done a lot of kind of mom obviously pre all a lot of this stuff is just before we all had to stay home we were doing a lot of kind of mom play dates there and things like that um and so you know the question that we should be asking is like okay well why is star ridge park being used maybe more than community park what what are we offering there that we're not offering at our largest park um another thing that we've talked about is kind of this um accessible or inclusionary play equipment. So things that, um, you know, kids, maybe kids in wheelchairs or that don't have quite the same mobility. There's really cool play equipment out there that allows for them to still kind of enjoy a playground in a really different way. So, um, and that, that's very different than like ADA accessible where maybe they can get to the playground. Um, but this would be, they could actually use play equipment. So I'd love to have some discussions about if, you know, we could get something like that in our, in our park. Um, I think community park would be the most appropriate for that being more central and, and the biggest park. So just having those conversations, um, I think at this point, the city is hoping to kind of, we really want to get like a formal assessment. So we'll actually put out an RFP to have someone come in and really look at, you know, we'll have data from the city of reservations and camps and classes that use the park um, and what those look like, but also to really, we want to get like, I'd love to have a community survey, um, maybe online, we'll do those kind of pop-ups, have city staff maybe in the park or in other areas of the city asking residents uh, for their input. So it will be, you know, I talk about it and the people are like, what do you mean you're doing that? And so you haven't seen it yet. Um, It's coming, but that's one of those things that I think is important to have when we're talking about, you know, should we add more parks is what are we doing the best with what we've got now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Back to Star Ridge. It does have really cool playground equipment, but I was always blown away by how far back it goes. And then it goes mm-hmm. back around the corner. It's, it's, it's a big park. Yeah. It connects um, to like a whole other part of the neighborhood and yeah. kinds of stuff. Yeah. And then, a lot of space. So, you know, and yeah. when you're looking at that, it's like, is that something that, you know, do we need another park or is there something we can do there to, to bring in more usage or, or better utilization? So to me, I, I think that that's, I'd love to see how this assessment with community park goes because I'm sure there are other parks in our city that need some TLC too. And so once we kind of have an idea, it may spur some thought or, you know, improvements at other parks too. 
Yeah, right on. Yeah, you know, I remember, I mean, I talked to Kevin McNamara, and I don't know if this is in the final plan for the for the farm, but he talked about the, you know, the playground equipment for people with disabilities. And the way that I understood it, it was like, imagine a swing set, but instead it was like a, a platform that you could almost mm-hmm. roll a wheelchair into, yeah. into, into like a safe, almost like a balloon basket, right? Yeah, so it's, uh, uh-huh. And yeah. it would move and they could swing and they, they wouldn't have to, you know, get out of their wheelchair. I thought that was a pretty cool idea. Um, yeah. So. When you Google kind of like inclusionary play equipment and stuff mm-hmm. like that, I mean, there's some really cool, innovative stuff that really gives kids, you know, a sense of normalcy at a park that, that they maybe don't have all the time. So I think it'd yeah. be really cool to have. Right on. Um, okay, we got... You know, we're, gosh, we're at 58 minutes. Can we go a little longer than an hour? Is that all right? Yes, we start. We started a little bit late. So, yeah, we're good. OK, okay so um, the Poway Center for the Performing Arts is another hot topic. Oh, I know yeah. it, that forum. I was surprised. I was, too. And I think it came up in the school board forum, if I recall. Oh, but, did it? OK, I haven't had a chance I, to watch that one yet. I think it did. Um, but at any rate, yeah, it's it's cash flow negative. It needs maintenance and upgrades. And I know the city is thinking about selling it. I mean, what do you think should happen with that that facility and that land? So it it has continually been identified by like the budget review committee as an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, since before I was on the council, they've been talking about how are we going to figure this out? It is a huge subsidy. It's a huge annual cost um, mm-hmm. for a city our size, half a million, seven hundred thousand dollars. That's a huge difference yeah. um, when you know when you're talking about those budget numbers. So. Um, I think that that could fund a special election. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and we're, yeah, we're talking about ongoing money. So I think we can actually mm-hmm. add, you know, services and things like that with that money. Um, I think that, you know, we were approached by the school district, which I think is a really important point of clarification um, that they kind of had in their head that Poway High is the only school without its own performing arts center. And, you know, hey, we've got this building on our land and I know that you're worried about, you know, the continued subsidy. So maybe we can come to an agreement. Sometimes things on paper sound a lot better than they are once you start digging through all the details. Um, I, I have always said that my biggest concern is looking out for the community user groups. Um, I would like to see whatever happens, however the model changes, that there's a seamless transition for them, that they continue to receive the level of services they've been getting, that they're able to have the events and the productions there that they have been and that they rely on. Um, And so ultimately the operating model has to change. It's unsustainable. The council is very much in agreement on that part of it. Um, What that looks like is, you know, the the big mystery that we're trying to figure out. Um, Recently, I think Mayor Voss appointed Dave and Barry to a subcommittee to start looking at, okay, we're kind of waiting for the school district to come back with, you know, what exactly their operating plan would look like, what their budget would look like and all these things. Cause we get to determine whether we think that that's feasible. Um, even if they make all these promises to us and say that they, you know, will do it. Um, there's no offer on the table right now that we're considering. And so now Dave and Barry are able to start working with there. There's been kind of a, an organized group of those user groups. And they're kind of working with them to start figuring out, okay, if the city maintained ownership, 
here's how much it costs. Here's kind of what we would need to figure out how to charge and what kind of usage is the usage proportion working because we have you know some set aside for PUSD and then some set aside for Poway on stage and then the user groups. And so how is that working? How would that work? And ultimately, what would it cost? What would we have to charge to start making up that subsidy? So mm-hmm. I think those conversations are going to be really important. Um, I don't know obviously how it's going. Um, can't have, can't talk to them about it, but I know that when they feel they have some, some, um, information to share with the council, they'll come back with that. And it, it's really important that we get this right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so personally, I, you know, I know it's this ongoing budgetary thing that we have to worry about, but I don't feel that's a reason to rush into anything. I think that we need to make sure that that we do it smart and we have the right input and the right model that will sustain it. Because the, the biggest concern is that we make a change, whether it goes to POSD or not, that we make a change that doesn't work and we lose the center. So that that's, you know, that's the worst case scenario, right? So doing it thoughtfully, um, and, and I'll admit, you know, I don't think the, the school district has has gone about some of their um, outreach and, and information sharing and even just that, you know, their communication with the city. I don't think they've gone about it in the right way. And they've kind of created um, probably more negativity than they intended, um, than they expected. And so that's been difficult as well, because I, I think that it's fair for them to try to figure out if it works. And, and you know, I always want to ensure that our students have, you know, my kids are going to go to Poway High. So I want to make sure that they have, you know, great amenities there. But it's also an amazing resource for the city and for our community groups. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's a huge it's going to be a huge topic of discussion. And, and as we move forward, but right now it's still in that kind of figuring out what the options truly are. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me kind of a pig and a poke, right? You know, you got the the business model is struggling. The building needs maintenance, but it's what is a city owned building on school owned land, right? Yes. Yeah. So that kind of creates a little bit of conflict as well, because if you had a third party buy it, um, then you, it would be a difficult deal to negotiate. So, yeah. It's little, yeah, it's a little messy in there. And there was talk about when we first were, we kind of had these, I think, four options really of what it could look like. One being, you know, we close it and, and it's gone, which is right. a non-starter. Um, and I think the last option was looking at maybe another operator or contracting out those services. But I don't think we're there yet with exploring that. Um, there's still, you know, obviously there's the POSD option, which hasn't really come to fruition. And we still don't know exactly what that would look like. And then there's how we would change and adapt our model to maintain it as the city, but not have such a huge subsidy to support it. Right. Have you met Janet Latang? I have. I have yeah. a lot of time with Janet. Yeah, she and she's looped right in with Dave and Barry to because she's kind of become the, you know, de facto president of this user group coalition yeah. um, and has an amazing wealth of knowledge about the history mm-hmm. of PCA and what groups are using it and what their need is, what their concerns are. Um, so I've had a lot of conversations with her. Um, and I think that she's, you know, a great advocate for them and has been really helpful for us to really understand, you know, you go to see the, the nutcracker that, um, SoCal ballet does, but you don't really know everything they need to make that production work and why PCPA is, you know, the ideal location. So even just learning those things and the nuances of how the user groups use the center is really important when you're making a decision. 
Yeah, right on. Yeah, Janet Latang is tremendous. She's passionate. She's knowledgeable. She's community driven. So, yeah, I'm glad that you talked to her. Which is amazing. You can actually have a conversation with her. So, I really appreciate that. Yeah, she's wonderful. Have you seen her son as a performer? Have you seen any of the things he's done? I have heard about him and how amazing he is. He is uh, incredible. So he is actually was my son's age at Poway High um, and they graduated a couple of years ago. But, yeah, he's gone on to college and he's still performing. That's what I heard. Yeah, it's incredible. So, you know, you've been in office now for like two years and a few months um, and you're out on the campaign trail. I'm interested in hearing what are what are the people coming to you? What are the the issues that voters are driven for that they're knocking on your door about? Well, definitely what's happening on Poway Road is a huge factor Um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of folks aren't, you know, we're we live our lives. We're busy. We we love living here. And it it can be hard to keep up with all the little things that are changing or happening. Um, And so a lot of times it'll even just be simple things of like, what what is happening here? What's going on? Or how did this happen? Or um, what what's the process to to be more engaged or stay on top of it? So I definitely think um, the Powder redevelopment has been is a is a huge topic for everyone in the city. I think we're all, yeah. we're all watching that closely. Um, kind of how the um, senior center is going to operate and ensure that we have a home for the seniors at the new community center and and when that'll be open and how that's going has been a big topic. Um, ensuring that you know we maintain our our budget. There's a lot of, there's a lot of coverage about having a budget deficit. Um, a lot of concern about kind of some budgetary clouds on the horizon and people like living here and want to know that the way of life is going to continue into the future, that we are going to have money for our public safety and our roads and our parks and all of that. And it's a lot harder to do if you have to start making cuts. So, um, and kind of ensuring that we have those strategies. And, and I think the council is, is really well united on the importance of ensuring that we maintain our service levels and that, you know, there may be hard decisions to, to make in the future, but one of the last ones you want to make is any kind of reduction in services, you know, whether that means we have to eliminate a deputy or your roads don't, you know, we change the seven year cycle to an eight or nine or 10 year cycle or things like that, that you really would see an impact to your quality of life here. Um, and so doing kind of everything we can to ensure that that's the last resort is a, is a huge topic. Um, protecting open space. I get a lot of questions about kind of what's the status of the Matadi parcel. Um, right now there, there is no status. Um, it is, it's a very, my understanding is, is it would be extremely difficult to develop that property, uh, with like soil issues and the topography and all of that. In addition to, it does fall under a prop FF. So, right. uh, you know, that would be a whole other thing that they would have to tackle as well. Um, and so, those Big Stone Lodge has obviously been a big one. PCPA is a big one, um, and and kind of just the the overall bigger, you know, how how do are we going to manage our housing mandates? How where are we going to put that? Are we able to do affordable housing? So when we get back the proposals from Monta Vista, it'll be really interesting to see kind of what our options are and what that's going to look like. And as these things come to fruition and, and get completed, I think that that people really start to see what it's going to look like. And my hope is that some of the concerns will be, will be appeased. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that traffic is always brought up as a concern and I absolutely understand that. 
I think that people underestimate how much of that traffic is from outside of our community. Um, it, you know, in the last 20 years, Poway has grown by 1500 residents. Um, mm-hmm. so it's not that, you know, our city is ballooning in size, but the communities that surround us have changed a lot and have grown a lot and we've been impacted by that. So trying to kind of manage how that is impacting our traffic while also allowing some of that revitalization to happen, I think is going to be key to watch. And, and so my hope is that as these things you know, get completed, it'll help people see what we're trying to do. Right on. Yeah, th- those those seem to be the issues that I, I see and hear in social media. And, you know, I interview a lot of the other candidates and those are always the topics. Everyone's kind of got a different angle on it. And mm-hmm. that's what's so fascinating about having these discussions. Um, you know, one other thing you talked about in the League of Women Voters event, and I think it was kind of in relation to the budget, was the whole Shop Poway initiative. You know, and trying to get us to you know shop locally and more sales tax. But I have an interesting story on that one. So um, I live in North Poway. I live like off of Stone Canyon. I wanted to ask you, why did you move out of South Poway? Well, because we wanted a house with a pool. Because <laughs> my kids were young and we wanted to have that. And my wife wanted to get a bigger home. And so we moved up here. But yeah, we used to live out on Sycamore Creek, like on the very end of Garden Road. You know, so that was a beautiful neighborhood. We really enjoyed it there. Um, But anyways, um, when we go to Costco, we used to go all the time to the one in Carmel Mountain Ranch because it's closer. Right. But I've discovered that when I go to the one in the Poway Business Park, I'm home faster um, because there's less riffraff in the parking lot. I'm in and out of the aisles faster. Um, It's less congestion and it's actually ultimately more efficient. And I don't think people realize that. They don't. And a lot of times, you know, you're thinking convenience over necessarily where am I filling up? And and a lot of folks, you know, I've had multiple conversations with someone where at some point later in the conversation, I realized, oh, you don't actually live in Poway. You live in Scripps Ranch or Rancho Bernardo. or And so it, it does kind of get blurred a little bit. And especially when you're kind of going to and from those communities. Um, and I think that people kind of miss the significance that it's not only property tax that supports your city, it's sales tax too. And that revenue is much more volatile. Um, We're affected um, by, you know, the economy in a much greater way when it comes to that revenue source. And so just even something as simple as trying to fill up your gas tank in Poway before you leave versus, you know, at some point on your way home or whatever can, can really make a difference. Um, and it's a difference you'd see, we'd see like in the next quarter when we get our sales tax, it's not, you know, this long-term, um, kind of vision, which is what a lot of the stuff on Poway road is, is we hope that long-term it'll stimulate more revenue and, and our city will have a little bit, um, of a more stable funding source, but that there's an immediate payoff if you can start stimulating people to be spending their money here. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I brought forward the shop local um, back in November and we had a really great month with the chamber doing some promotions, doing some fun things. Um, I've attended a lot of ribbon cuttings, not obviously in the past like six months, but last year we had a lot of great, even just little businesses opening up and being welcomed here. Um, trying to plan one for the hop stop soon so that we can officially welcome them. They had quite an opening week. Um, and so just being able to to really educate people on the importance of that and how it does make a difference, um, it 
I, I had had a lot of kind of these light bulb moments with people where they realized like, oh yeah, like that Costco is in Carmel Mountain. That doesn't really help make sure my streets are paved here yeah. and that you know, our parks are clean and well-maintained and things like that. So putting it in those terms, um, I think was, was really important. So I was really yeah. excited about it. I, I hope that we're going to have it uh, annually and kind of do some fun promotions, continue to do that. Obviously we're going to need to support our local businesses as much as possible. Um, it, it's, we know that there's going to, we're going to lose some. We know that there's going to be some really tough times. They're tough times right now. Um, but anything that we can do to just really encourage that, um, community feel and really give back because we, we have business owners that are amazing members of the community and really give back to us. So now's our opportunity, you know, they've sponsored sports teams and fundraisers and all kinds of things. So as much as we can to, to make sure that we're patronizing those businesses, the better. Yeah, right on. You know, I, I kind of play this new game um, when, you know, it's like Friday night and I talk to my wife, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. What do you want for dinner? Right. <laughs> and so we want to get takeout. So what we do is we I get on Yelp and I type in Poway restaurants and then I sort it, you know, from based on, um, you know, highest review, like the five stars mm-hmm. at the top on down. And then I just start from the top. And I go, have I been there? Have I been there? Have I been there? And I pick one I haven't gone to. And um, I've had some great experiences going to places that not in a million years I would have gone on my own because I never knew they even existed. Oh, yeah. We have some hidden gems. We really do. I mean, I think there's like some really great spots in the um, big lots parking lot that people mm-hmm. don't really, you don't really see. Um, yeah. When we're talking about not to tie it back to our specific plan on Poway Road, but one of the big things they did in that plan was change the setbacks to ensure that you had parking in the back and that your storefronts were closer to the street. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge thing because you don't get that drive by traffic when it's the road and, you know, a hundred yards of parking and then the businesses, they get lost. And so to really just reorient ourselves to have a place where you're driving by and you're thinking, Oh, I didn't even know there was that place there. Oh, I haven't tried that place is really going to hopefully generate that kind of destination feel that we're looking for. Um, because some of our, our shopping centers, I mean, you might not have any idea what's in there. Yeah. I mean, have you, have you ever been to what's called North park produce? Yes. Yeah, that's good. You know, and and I've I've gone by it a million times, and I was like, it's a produce place, right? But it's not. No. And then it shows up on like Yelp and DoorDash, and yeah, and then you realize. So I I do hope that that some of this stay at home stuff has has encouraged folks to try different places, and a lot of our restaurants have really mastered their takeout game. Yeah. Um, figure out how to make sure you're getting your food and it's still good um, and survives that that transit. So uh, I, I think that there we have a lot to offer. I mean, people complain sometimes about, you know, there's something to do in Poway or we don't have good restaurants or things like that. But if you kind of get out of your comfort zone and, and just even drive around some of our, our shopping centers, you're going to find some new favorites for sure. I agree. And we got a, uh, one of our uh, viewers, Matthew Brannigan, jumped in and he said, love North Park produce, exclamation point. And then he said, sad that Atlas closed, though. Yeah. And I think that had a pretty cool food court in there at Atlas at that marketplace. It did. It did. Yeah. Um, there, you know, I think that the difficulty with that was it this the size was too much for for what he does. Um, their mm-hmm. other market, I think, is like half the size. Um, and it just, I think he struggled to really find 
not only an identity in the store, but really to find his place in Poway. I think there were um, a lot of people that didn't really know what was there, uh, what they had, and and it got kind of overshadowed. And so hopefully, um, you know, that's a huge anchor in that shopping center. So I know the the owners of the shopping center are motivated to find a tenant and um, get something there. So maybe that'll bring some revitalization to that shopping center. Yeah, right on. I think we're all looking forward to that. Um, here, here's another another little twist here, a question. So I remember during our 2018 discussion, you know, you talked a lot about how you were brought up and how both of your parents were, um, you know, in law enforcement. Yeah. And I know that on your website, you've got the endorsement of law enforcement. So right now in Poway, from a law enforcement perspective, what are the big challenges that they're trying to overcome? What are the hot topics for the sheriff in Poway? Community relationships are always vital and important. Um, I think we actually, I was really proud to see how our protests happened in Poway. Um, we had really great cooperation with our law enforcement. Um, I mentioned during the forum, you know, we, they safely shut down an intersection for protesters. They've um, helped kind of maintain um, so that protesters and residents feel safe. Um, so I think, but I think that we need to continue to have that. We have a new captain in Poway, who is someone that I've known for a long time, um, has been an amazing part of the sheriff's department and is extremely community oriented, very you know willing to jump in, be a part of the community, which I think is really important. Um, our captain, you know, operates as the chief of police essentially for Poway. Um, and so it's important that he really knows the city and he's been stationed here before. So he's already very familiar with kind of the layout of the city, the concerns, the issues, extremely approachable. Um, and so I think that that's a huge thing that we need to continue to focus on. Um, it's obviously very difficult nationally for both, you know, people of color and law enforcement. Um, mm -hmm. So whatever, you know, on our own smaller scale that we can do to ensure that those relationships are healthy and that there's a good line of communication um, is vital. So that and that's always number one for me is ensuring that our law enforcement feels like they're a part of the community and that the community feels like law enforcement is there, you know, with them in the community. Yeah, it, it was interesting is like when remember when they had that incident at La Mesa where mm -hmm. the protests were there and there was a bit of a standoff with the, with the police and Poway was proactive. I think they had a curfew for a few of those days. Um how did that kind of all play out from your perspective on city council? Were you involved in a lot of those decisions or was that entirely on the sheriff? That was the city manager and the sheriff. Um, so in kind of these instances of, of emergency, obviously we're kind of kept in the loop, but ultimately that decision lies with the city manager is um, kind of the emergency um, coordinator, I guess you would say, um, for those things. And it was based on conversations that he was having with our law enforcement about until they had information that they had received. And it, he ultimately felt like, you know, better to try to at least encourage people to be home. Um, it's another tool that law enforcement, you know, if they felt like people were lingering, you know, it, that old saying, you know, not a lot happens after dark type stuff. Um, so just a way to encourage people to go home. No one was cited in a Poway. Nobody was arrested. Um, you know, law enforcement was simply just kind of telling folks, hey, 
just so you know, there's a curfew. So, you know, you can, you're obviously free to go to and from your work and all of that. But hanging out at parks or, you know, loitering or lingering and things like that. Um, we just wanted people to be at home and safe. Right on. Yeah, it seems like that all went pretty smooth. There were no major incidents at all. So and then, yeah, the protests have been generally well behaved. And even the protests that take place every Sunday at Twin Peaks and Pomerado are pretty well behaved, too. So that's good. You know, yeah. we got some good folks here in town. Um, last question. Okay. Um, and, and thank you very much for sticking with me so long. <laughs> so this is from another audience member. Actually, it's Pete Neal. He has another question. And this is a good closing question. So he says, it's September 2024. What are your best accomplishments? Well, I think something I am really proud of is that I think I've developed kind of an identity in the community. Um, as you said, you know, two years ago, it was a lot about kind of getting to know me. Um, and now I feel like I, I have people that reach out to me that just because they've seen me commenting on social media or out and about, or they, you know, looked at the city website and wanted to reach out to me. Um, and so kind of cultivating that identity and, and establishing my own voice on the council, um, was really important to me. Mm -hmm. A couple things that, um, I haven't agreed with everybody on and that I've tried to kind of take the lead on um, and things like that. And, and just showing what's important to me, like doing the shop local thing was really important to me. I think that, you know, we have fantastic businesses here and I wanted to support them and show that the city was not just this passive supporter, but that we could really be active in, in supporting our businesses. So that was a great thing for me. Um, the uh, getting out the affordable housing RFP is going to be incredible. Um, I was really happy that we were able to agree on Monta Vista and move forward on that. Um, though, you know, those are tangible things. I think that uh, approving the Poway Commons is going to be a great asset to Poway Road um, and very proud of that. Looking forward to the community park assessment. I had hoped that we'd be further along and maybe have some some things to share by now, but that's kind of changed things. Um, and obviously having my son, I'm very proud of that. And the addition yeah, right of my family, um, it's been really special. But ultimately, it's been kind of finding my place and developing these great relationships with businesses, with the chamber, with residents, um, and, and making sure folks know that, that I'm here to help. And I'm happy every time I'm able to do that. Right on. So how is the best way for your constituents to get a hold of you or people that might want to support you on your campaign? What's the best way to reach you? So my website is kaylinforpoway.com. C-A-Y-L-I-N, no T. Um, and the actual word for, F-O-R. Um, my cell number, it's on the city website, 760-473-2065 calling or texting. Um, you can also add me on Facebook, message me on Facebook, add me on Instagram. Um, I'm of the generation that we're very, you know, social media oriented. So if you want to check out some pictures of my cute kids and all of that, um, definitely add me. And that's it. I mean, I'd love to 
try to get coffee with people, but it's a little different now. So that's one of my favorite things about camp campaign season is doing kind of neighborhood coffees and small meetings and, and groups like that, where you get to kind of have this a conversation very much like this, where they just kind of bring up their questions or concerns and you're able to really have spend some time talking about them instead of, you know, like the one minute that you have during a forum. Um, so I miss that, but we could always try to do something virtually and see how that would go. Um, and that's it. I mean, I'm just, I'm here for you. Right on. Well, that's how we connect. I, I reach out to you by Facebook Messenger and you <laughs> always respond. And, and so, so thank you very much for joining us here on the podcast. You know, we're doing it as a live stream. It'll, the recorded version will be available on Facebook and YouTube. And then we're going to have the audio only up on all the, you know, audio podcast platforms shortly. Um, best of best of luck to you. I know you got a competitive race. You got two challengers, but good luck to you in this race. And um, let's find out what happens on what is it, November third? That's election November day. Right? 3rd, yes, but you'll start getting your ballots around October fifth. So really, it's like voting for the month of October. <laughs> so you know, I, I got one more question. So <laughs> if, if if you know, we hear all these stories about the delay in response, like for the presidential election, it could be a while after election day. But for the local races, do you think we're we're going to know quickly. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. Dragon. Um, I, I I anticipate that the ROV has been staffing up, and um, that they'll. You know, we usually on election day, the first results are you know some absentee ballots. So if they're all mail in, um, I would think that we should be able to see results fairly quickly. Um, Hopefully, because my heart can't take much delay on that. <laughs> it's yeah, hard to really. when you're waiting until yeah. 8 p.m. So, yeah. Um, but it it's going to be an interesting, you know, 2020 is going to be a year of a lot of firsts. And this is another one. Right on. Well, Kaylin, thank you so much and good luck to you. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.